Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. But man, last weekend was an incredible weekend for our church. Uh, man, Sunday morning was, was good. But man, Sunday night, the first Sunday, of, how many of you guys were here for first Sunday? First Sunday was amazing. Man, the presence of God visited us that night. We were just worshiping and just going after God. And uh, first Sunday, we don't come with a message. We just come to worship. And we just let the Holy Spirit do whatever he wants to do. And it was powerful. For those that were here, you know that. Uh, we are going to have one September 1st. Uh, I know it's Labor Day weekend. Some of you might have travel plans. But if not, make plans to be here. It was awesome. And then Sunday morning, um, God gave me a message out of Colossians uh, in talking about uh, self-made religion. And uh, today, I want to go into Mark, and I want to maybe bring another perspective and maybe some even some more balance to that word. Because I know for some people, they heard that word, that I am free, and so I'll see in about six months, right? I know some people heard that word last week, and man, they could take it a different direction. Um, But we're going to see something today uh, as we go into the word of God. Uh, We're going to see that uh, when when we follow Jesus Christ, there really is a new level for us to walk in. When we begin to say yes to Jesus, when we begin to come what we call Christians, Christ followers, uh, there really is something that is required of us. There is a new level of life. There's a new level of living. And more importantly, there's a massive transformation that takes place in our life. And it's that massive transformation that really propels us to uh, that next level of living, because that's where we're really called to. And so I want to take us there today in Scripture, and then next week we'll conclude um, the book of Colossians. Mark chapter 14, going to start in verse 51. But right before I read that, I want to read to you Luke chapter 9. And just, uh, you can hold your finger in 14. If you want to go to Luke, you can do that as well. Luke 9, 23, and it reads this. And he said to all, if anyone, this is Jesus talking, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. This is Jesus talking. If anyone wants to be a Christian, wants to be a Christ follower, wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his own cross daily and follow after me. Me, Mark chapter 14, we'll start in verse 43. Verse 43. Jesus now has had the Last Supper uh, as we know it. He's gone to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, uh, where he's encouraged his disciples to pray with him for one hour. Jesus himself is about to enter into the greatest moment of his life, where he would go eventually to the cross and die for all humanity. He has a powerful prayer time. And here's what takes place, verse 43, as they can just, you know, finish up this prayer time. Verse 43. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one that I kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him, and once he said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. 
But one of those who stood drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to him, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. I'm going to read those last two verses again. And a young man followed Jesus with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. And a young man followed him. And a young man followed him. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself daily, pick up his cross, and follow me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you that your word is, is awesome. And Lord, I pray that in the next few moments that we have together, uh, Lord, that you would just speak to each and every one of us. God, we thank you for the, the freeing message that took place last week here. And I pray that today more freedom would take place as we understand what it is to follow after you. Help us today in Jesus' name. Amen. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they immediately seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. A young man followed him. I want to talk to you on the subject for the next few moments of going from his cross to yours. From his cross to yours. And if anyone desires to come after Jesus, he must deny himself daily, pick up his own cross, and follow after him. We've heard those words. Maybe we've read those words. Maybe we've sat in a service much like today and heard someone preach those words. But hearing those words preached, reading the scripture, and actually doing it are two completely different things. It, it's, it's palatable for us to sit in a service and to hear someone encourage us what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a Christ follower. It's even really great when we sit in a message like last week and we talk about being free from self-made religion. Don't allow laws and rules and restrictions and all these things to come upon you to, to put you in this place of condemnation or judgment. But man, if Jesus Christ sets you free, be free. We love that. But then we come to this thought today that if we really want to go after Jesus, man, we've got to deny ourselves daily, pick up our cross, and follow after him. Sounds good, but it's, it's difficult. Let me read this to you today. This is Tim Hansel in his book, When I Relax, I Feel Guilty. He writes this. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disrupt my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I do not want enough of him to make me love other cultures or pick up fruit with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not the new birth. I want a, I want a pound of eternal in a paperback sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. 
Because see, the reality is, is we, when we talk about transformation, we come to the realization that if I'm transformed, uh, something's required of me. I look different. I talk different. I think different. Something is completely changed about me. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he fled. He left the linen cloth and ran away naked. We're, we're called to live a transformed life. We're called to live at a higher level in Jesus Christ when we become a Christian, when we become a Christ follower. And maybe many of you are sitting out there wondering, well, what does that look like? What does it look to be transformed? What, is it, what does it mean? I hear you talking about that, but what does that look like? I, I like the way James puts it. James chapter 1, verse 22, says, don't deceive yourself by just being a hearer of the word. But you got to do what? You got to be a doer of the word. Because if you're just a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word, you're deceiving yourself. I believe this is kind of the same thing that, that, that Jesus was saying. I believe that James was following that up. This is what Jesus meant when he said, hey, deny yourself daily, pick up your cross. This is what it looks like contextually. It means not just to be a hearer of the word, but to go ahead and everything you read, live it out. Live it out. Live it out. Live it out. Going from his cross to yours. Mark chapter 14 is very interesting to me because it's always those little, those little portions of scripture that really I like to dive into. I like to think about the story of Jesus when he was, when he was before the crowds and they were saying, crucify him, crucify him. But I want you to let this guy over here go. Do you remember the guy's name? What was his name? Barabbas. Yeah, you know his name too, right? We don't really hear about Barabbas until this moment of the story when, when, when they're given the option. Do you want to see Jesus let go or do you want to see Barabbas let go? And they're like, let go of the notorious scrim. Let him go, but let's crucify Jesus. See, my interest is piqued at that moment because I want to know who Barabbas is. And I want to know what's behind this story and what's behind the scene. And man, why would they say, let this guy go but crucify Jesus? Jesus did nothing wrong. But as you dive into that story, and we'll preach it sometime, as you dive into that story, what you begin to understand is it wasn't the cry of the people to let Barabbas go. It was the cry of God to let Barabbas go because his grace is so good that in the moment when Jesus Christ was going to the cross to die for humanity, he was dying for all humanity, which meant he was dying for Barabbas also. So we can look at the story through a different lens and say, oh man, Barabbas, he was a bad dude. He was a bad individual. I can't believe the people would let him go, but they would crucify Jesus. But God is on the other side pleading, saying, let Barabbas go. Let Barabbas go. This is why Jesus came. It's those little portions of the story. So we find ourselves here with an unnamed man streaking in the scriptures. Come on, somebody. After Adam and Eve, come on, he's the next streaker mentioned. Come on now. What is taking place? What is happening in this story? What is the purpose of this young man being right here? Two verses, 51 and 52. If we could go back to that moment and actually peer through time and see what was taking place, 
We would see this. We would not just see some orderly thing taking place. What we would see is we would see a riotous occasion. There was an upheaval. There was an uproar. And here now come soldiers. And as the soldiers would march their way going to apprehend Jesus, people would move out of the way and let them pass. And they come now and they find Jesus with his disciples praying. Judas betrays him. And they seize Jesus. Now listen to me. This was not just like, hey, you're under arrest. Turn around. Put your hands behind your back. They seized him. They laid hands on him to lead him away. So riotous was this point that literally Jesus' disciples, who are not warriors, not trained fighters, they're fishermen. That one of them pulls out his sword and slashes a dude's ear off. This is, this is like, this is, this is intense. And it gets so intense, ladies and gentlemen, that the disciples go from fighting to fleeing. It gets so intense that the Bible says here, and they all left him and fled. This is an intense moment. Who is this young man that in the intensity of that moment decides I'm going to follow Jesus? There's two options that most theologians have come up with. The first option is this. That the keeper of the garden lived nearby where the prayer was taking place. And because of the commotion that was taking place in the garden, he got out of bed threw the sheet around him, and he went down to see what was taking place. Probably not getting too involved, maybe hiding behind a stone, a tree, a bush, or something, but but peering around, seeing what's taking place. And now Jesus gets led away, and in curiosity, he begins to follow after Jesus to see what they're going to do with him. But as he's making his way with his sheet wrapped around him, he gets discovered and he gets grabbed also. Now fear rises up in the curious young man and he begins to shake himself loose and he begins to run. Home obviously not too far away. The other option is just as plausible and that is this, is that the Last Supper actually took place in the home of Mark, one of the disciples. And the garden was very near to Mark's home. Mark did not make his way with the disciples to pray. But when he began to hear the commotion, and that's why it's written in the book of Mark, when he began to hear the the commotion, he too, same thing, grabs the sheep, makes his way out of his home, down to the garden, and begins to watch as they begin to seize Jesus. But now probably his heart a little bit troubled, he begins to follow to see what they're going to do with his rabbi his teacher, his leader. And as he follows Jesus, they apprehend him, he shakes himself loose, and he begins to leave. But ladies and gentlemen, this is so much more than just a brief history lesson on what took place that night. It shows us something today. It shows us two things. The first is this, that if we follow Jesus We stay clothed in righteousness, in purity, integrity, and we're covered. But the minute we begin to run and flee from Jesus, we begin to flee naked, ashamed, and exposed. 
The second thing it shows us is this, is that whether this was a curious onlooker or a disciple of Jesus Christ, it shows us this, that if you follow Jesus long enough, not only will you come to his cross, but you come to the realization that they have a cross for you as well. This man fled fearful for his life, believing that whatever fate awaits Jesus, if I continue to follow him, that a fate awaits me as well. That there's not just a cross that our Savior died on, but there is a cross that Jesus Christ talked about. Could have he in those moments when they were seizing him have recaptured in his mind the teaching of Jesus that said, if anyone wants to follow me, he's got to deny himself daily, pick up his cross and come after me. If anyone wants to follow me, and a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth, and he realized something. There's probably a cross waiting for me also. As Christians, as Christ followers, as curious onlookers, the longer, ladies and gentlemen, we follow Jesus, we realize that we must get up from his cross where salvation took place, where restoration took place, where healing took place, where forgiveness took place, where his grace was poured out, that we must get up from that moment and begin to walk in that forgiveness, in that grace, in that power. And the only way that happens is as we begin to dig through the pile of crosses at the foot of his and find ours and begin to pick it up and begin to go after him. Pastor, I liked last week's message better. Could you tell me how I can go to a movie and drink a beer again, please? You have to watch last week's message, I guess. It was. But we realized something. As we follow Jesus, it really does transform us. I believe that the reality of what this young man would soon face pierced him in that moment. Because Jesus had talked about what was going to take place with him. Jesus had shed light on the fact that he would be taken and led away. And that he would die. And that he would be with them no longer. And I believe the reality of that was setting in on this young man as he followed. And when faced with that reality, he fled. Because if they have a cross for him, they might have one for me too. Thank God for this unnamed man in the Bible. We can learn something from him today. If we follow Jesus... Is there a cross for us? Yeah. But if we follow Jesus, we stay clothed 
in his righteousness. What, is it, what does it look like to follow Jesus? Let me just give you a few thoughts, and we'll bring it to a close this morning. What does it look like to follow Jesus? What does that mean to pick up my cross daily, to, to deny myself and to pick up my cross? What does that look like? Let me just give you a few thoughts. If you want more, read the Bible. One is this. It means to love Christ and others more than myself. It means to love Christ and others more than myself. Now listen to what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you do not love yourself. Because the Bible very clearly teaches us to love our neighbors as ourselves. If you hate yourself, you're going to hate your neighbors. I'm not saying that you don't have a healthy understanding of who you are and the grace of God that's on your life and the calling and that which you are to walk in and that which you are to do. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is at the end of the day, do you love God more than yourself? And can you then display that love to others? To love others and God more than yourself. I think of 1 John, or John, excuse me, 3.16. Y'all know that one, right? For God, oh, you know the reference, okay, but you don't, okay. For, yeah, right, he loved the world, right? That he gave his only son. And, and that was Jesus' choice, by the way. It was a deliberate act of his will to come. Why? Because he valued God, loved God, and he saw humanity and loved humanity so much that he gave his life. That he gave his life. Think back to Luke 9.23 for a minute. What does it mean to love Christ and others? Man, it means you got to deny yourself sometimes. Now, I'm not talking about, because, well, Pastor, last week you talked about not being under. Here's one thing I've noticed in the Christian world today is there's this thought that comes across. Because we can take yes, last week's message to an extreme. And we could just be living in freedom and liberty and then someone comes and challenges us and the first thing out of us, our mouths as a Christian is don't judge me. You ever heard somebody say that as a Christian? You don't have to raise your hand because I might be sitting next to you. But don't, you can't judge me. Don't judge me. But in actuality, if we were to really be biblical community, our job is to hold each other accountable. I'm not talking about, you know, here, check my emails, check my, okay. But are we holding each other accountable to the cause of Jesus Christ? See, I believe there's some people that have gotten so much freedom that it's like, oh, don't judge me. I'm, I'm working out my own salvation with fear and trembling. <laughs> yeah, but you're doing it in a completely unbiblical way. It was much happier and louder last week. <laughs> Pick up your cross. Love others and love God. Man, nothing will test this greater than being married. Come on, somebody. You really want to learn how to pick up your cross, ladies? Get married to a man? I'm sure, I'm going I'm to talk from my wife's perspective. I'm sure, like, she knows what it is daily. <laughs> To deny herself and pick up her cross and, okay, Jesus, I'll follow him. There's times when you just got to be like, okay, I'm, we're, we're, we're not. All right. I mean, all the married couples are smiling right now. And they're like, you don't even need to say anything more. 
And all the people that aren't married yet are blissfully like, I can't wait to get married. I can't wait to get married. <laughs> and then when they get married, they're like, why did I get married? Why did I get married? <laughs> now, marriage is great. 16 years last Thursday. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Love Christ and others more than yourself. Let me give you another thought here. Put his will and word ahead of your own. Put his word and will ahead of your own. Well, I don't know what his will is. That's because you're not putting the word ahead of your own. If you get into this right here, you'll know his will. And then you can put it ahead of your own. Put his word and will ahead of your own. Now, this gets tested at times, ladies and gentlemen. Like this morning, when I felt like we should pray for people. He's Jehovah Rapha, our healer in our health. That's his word. But my word is, man, my body hurts. And we could either repeat that over and over. Man, I don't feel good. I feel horrible. Man, I feel sick. Man, there's so much pain. Man, Or you could say, you know what? He's my healer in my health. And sometimes he'll supernaturally heal me, and other times he'll use doctors to heal me, medication to heal me. But you know what? He is my healer, my health. It gets tested. To put his word and his will ahead of your, your own. Luke twenty two forty two. Luke twenty two forty two. This is one of the scenes where Jesus is in the garden and he's praying. Maybe you've read this, maybe you've seen this. Where he's pleading with God the Father saying, man, what I'm about to go into, it's going to be really difficult, really hard. If you could maybe just not let me go through this, that'd be awesome. I'm paraphrasing. But you know what? At the end of the day, God, nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. Look, there are a lot of things that I desire in life, a lot of things that I want to do, and there's a lot of things I don't want to do that I need to do. And yes, I've prayed that prayer before. God, I don't want to do this. But you know what? Your will. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Pick up your cross daily. Deny yourself daily. Hmm. Your kingdom come, your will be done, Matthew 6.10. When Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, one of the things he dives into and says, here's what, one thing you need to pray. When you're praying, now listen to me. I've got to catch this, right? When you're praying, you need to pray for yourself and say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. This is a model for daily prayer. Why did Jesus tell us to have that as a part of our daily prayer life? Because it's going to be difficult sometimes for you to put his will ahead of your own will. Amen, good message. All right, give me some more, Pastor. This is awesome. This is good teaching. I'm glad I have the Bible to read because I go back and I read about people that struggled to do the will of God. And it encourages me as I struggle to do the will of God. But man, let me tell you something. When you get up and you pray in the morning and you get the right perspective and you say, you know what, God, today your kingdom come, your will be done. And doing his will becomes so much more easy. 
Listen, the reason doing his will is difficult a lot of the time is because we haven't spent time aligning our will with his will. And it is when we pray that we align our will with his will. Or if I could put it this way, it's in prayer that he comes and slaps us in the line. Come on, somebody. I mean, sometimes prayer is a gentle nudging, like, hey. Sometimes prayer is a beat down. Right? Putting his will, what does it look like to deny yourself daily and to pick up your cross? Put his will and word ahead of your, your own. Let me, just, let me just give you one more here. What does it look like? What, is, what does Luke 9.23 look like? It means sometimes you got to separate from the crowd. Separate from the, this one? This one, man, separating from the crowd. Because I can quietly do his will without anybody necessarily knowing it. But there are times, there are moments when you've actually got to separate from the crowd. To actually step out of the boat. You remember that story? In Matthew? Let me just, let me just catch up to speed real quick. The, the disciples are in the boat, and they're going across. Jesus says, hey, I'll meet you on the other side. Storm comes. They're freaking out. We're not going to make it to the other side. And all of a sudden they look like, ah, there's a ghost coming. Do y'all remember this one? If not, it's a great story. And they start freaking out. There's a ghost coming. And the ghost walks closer to them and says, hey, don't be afraid. It's I, Jesus. And all of a sudden they're like, okay, cool. They would never seen Jesus walk on water before. But all of a sudden, okay, cool. Why? Because they heard his voice. And because they heard his voice, they knew, okay, cool. Uh, we thought you were a ghost a minute ago, but now that we hear your voice, oh, that, that, that's Jesus. And then Peter, being Peter, says, oh, yeah? If it's you, then tell me to get out of the boat and to walk on water over to you. Take that, Jesus. You know what Jesus is? Come on. I learned something by watching Peter's life. <laughs> Don't egg Jesus on, right? Like, oh, yeah, Jesus, if it's you, yeah, you think you're bad, tell me to. Okay. So Peter now, he's put on the spot. He, he didn't go, I'm just kidding, Jesus. I know it's you. Come on. Come on, let's crack open a beer and watch a movie. Come on, Jesus. Come on. It's all good. Yeah, you have to see, you can't miss a weekend. It's not as funny if you're here last week. No. Peter's like, oh, man. Everybody's looking right now. Jesus is telling me to come follow him out on the water. What am I going to do? He got to separate from the crowd. Now, you know all the disciples already make fun of Peter behind his back. Come on. So you know at this moment they're like, this guy. Peter probably looks and sees him. Oh, they're teasing me again, Jesus. But he steps out of the boat. And he begins to walk on the water. 
pretty cool. Peter actually walked on the water. Why? Because he's separated from the crowd. Now, as the story goes on, sure, he sank. (laughs) But he walked on water as well. Every single one of us, we know what it is to sink, but nobody in here knows what it is to walk on water. And it was when he separated and he walked back, and the Bible says he he looked around and saw the wind and the waves. The reason he saw the wind and the waves is because he turned around to look at the disciples and said, see, guys, look, I got this. Now, that's not in the Bible, but that's my thought, okay? And he begins to sink, but the cool thing is, Jesus is right there. What does he do? Grab his hand, pulls him up. Picking up your cross, denying yourself daily, sometimes means you've got to separate from the crowd. Listen to me. Jesus Christ did not die on the cross so you could, you could blend in with the rest of culture. Jesus Christ died on the cross so that you could be a beacon of light, a beacon of hope, the salt of the earth, the light of the world. That's why Jesus Christ did that for you and I. And so sometimes that means I've got to separate from the crowd. Even though, man, I might sink, I've got to step out. I've got to step out. I've got to do some things when nobody else is doing them, and I ought not to do some things when everybody else is doing them. Sometimes I'm soloed out, but that's part of being a Christ follower. But listen to me, if you never get soloed out and you never separate yourself, guess what? You'll always sink, but you'll never walk on the water. I remember one of my very first separating moments. Because here's, here's the reality is that every single one of us, as we follow Jesus long enough, will have a defining moment where we've got to separate from the crowd. Every single one of us. Because if you follow Jesus long enough, you realize there's not only his cross, but there's yours as well. I was a college student basketball player. To walk down the hallways of the college and people knew college player. It's awesome. It's cool. Right? And in college, I don't know what it's like today. I know some things have changed. They probably teach it in first grade now, but we had to have sex education. So I, it was my, my freshman year, I believe, and here I am in the health class, and they bring in the expert. And the expert is a single unmarried woman. Go figure. And so I'm sitting in this class, and there's like two of my buddies, and everybody knows I'm a, I'm a ball player, and there's, like, there's probably like, I don't know, 35, 40 people in the class And she is instructing us on the ways of the birds and the bees. What do they have to do with sex anyway? I don't know the birds and the bees, but anyway. She's instructing us. So she's going on. She does her spiel. Then she's got her her little drawings and diagrams. Bananas. I was there. Listen. This was my experience, right? I'm sitting in class. And she talks about all the contraceptives you can use. And if you use this one, then 95% chance you won't get pregnant, you won't get a disease. This one, 92%. This one, 89%. Maybe don't use that. Use the 95%. She's going through her little spiel. And someone over in the corner goes, excuse me, ma'am, is is there actually like any 100% way to make sure that you don't get diseases and get pregnant? And the lady just looks and goes... No, no, there's not. 
And I had something leap inside of me. The Holy Spirit. And I'm like, no, down, 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 down. <laughs> right? You've been there. The Holy Spirit wants to bubble out and you're like. <laughs> it's just leaping inside of me. And I leaned over one of my friends and I was like, she's wrong. And my friend is like, what? I was like, she's wrong. He's like, no, I just listened to her whole spiel. There's, there's, there's one that's 95%, but there's no 100%. And I was like, no, she's wrong. He's like, what are you talking about? I said, I know. He goes, no, no, don't, don't, don't. And I'm also, my hand starts going up. <laughs> true story. It's true story. My hand starts going up. And it goes up. And the lady goes, excuse me. And I was like, yeah, you're wrong. Class kind of looks at me, and she's like, uh, excuse me? Uh, you're wrong. Well, wrong about what? All, all eyes are on me. Like, you, there is a 100% sure way to not get diseased and not get pregnant. And she laughs. She's like, oh, okay, that's funny. <laughs> and she kind of goes on with her class, and I was like, and at this point, I didn't want to. I mean, both hands were going up. Like, and she looked, she's like, yes. I was like, you're wrong. She's like, really, would you like to enlighten us on how that's possible? Yes. Huh. She goes, okay, tell us. I was like, don't. Have sex. And the lady just looks at me stunned. And everybody over there is like. And she goes, well, I just don't think that's possible. And all of a sudden, my hand went up again. And she's like, what? And I said, maybe if you start teaching it as it's possible, maybe it would become possible, and less people would be having sex, therefore we'd have less diseases and less unwanted pregnancies. Yeah. And the whole class just looked at me. And I walked out of class singing, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Because in that moment, I realized it wasn't about me. It wasn't about my reputation. See, ladies, here's something I've learned, that we will follow Jesus far enough until it interferes with our lives. We'll follow Jesus until it gets uncomfortable. We'll follow Jesus until the pastor brings up tithes and offerings. We'll follow Jesus until our reputation is at stake. We'll follow Jesus until we're put into an uncomfortable situation where he is asking us to separate from the rest of the crowd to get out of the boat and to begin to walk on the water. And there was a young man that followed him with nothing but a linen cloth around his body. And they seized him also. And he fled naked and exposed. God, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you that your word is awesome. 
The word is, is life-giving. It's transforming. It calls us to a higher level. It demands more of us when we say yes to you. And God, I pray for those that are in this place this morning, whether curious onlookers, curiously following you, pray, God, that they would find themselves in that defining hour, that defining moment, not running and not fleeing, but saying, I know that there's a cross for me also. And I know it might cost me my reputation with my friends. I know it might mean I have to change the way I'm living. I know it might mean some different things, but I'd rather follow Jesus clothed than run from him naked. God, I pray for those devout disciples that are in here today, those Christians, those Christ followers. And they find themselves in that defining hour, that defining moment that they have to step out and separate themselves. Pray, God, that they would not run. But I pray they would step into the greatest defining hour of their destiny. And they would walk with a call in their life that says, I'm following Jesus, and today I'm denying myself, and I'm picking up my cross, and I'm going after him. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.